Children's Church, ages 3 to 8. If you're going to take advantage of that, it's right out the door and hang a right. Doesn't sound like it. Is it on? You good? I'm not hearing anything there. Testing, testing, testing. There it is. Okay, there we go. Now we're good. All right, so we are in Habakkuk, if you turn there, please. The book of Habakkuk. I was saying there are folks available uh, for children's church out there if you wanted to go check it out. Mike, you want to? <laughs> Habakkuk chapter 2. Um, interesting, you know, I, I thinking about today, really everything got big this week, right? Like this isn't, isn't new news. It's been going on for several weeks and even months with other countries with uh, the coronavirus. But a lot, of, a lot of things have been going on. This week it's been like we have to make announcements. We've got to make decisions. We've got to do some things. I know some churches have totally canceled services. Uh, some have been mandated to do that by their counties. Um, and gatherings are, are shrinking and schools are, schools are shutting doors for a time being to see what happens. And, and all that while I'm wondering, do I need to preach something different? And as I uh, had prepared and gone through this, I, just, I see how timely the book of Habakkuk is and how timely today's message in particular is is for all of us. And uh, we are in Habakkuk chapter 2. We're actually going to finish out the chapter. Alistair preached on chapter 2 verses 1 through 5 last week. I'm going to preach 6 through 20 today. So it's going to be uh, a great a great time. Um, again, this, this message is about a, a prophet who, who had a burden from God, a burden that he carried as a prophet to his people, but a burden he also went to God with, trying to figure out and make sense of the sin and the error and the corruption and the violence that he saw all around. And, and this, this series is called uh, Habakkuk, from, from worry to worship. And, and as we look at that, uh, it's important for us to move our hearts from a place of fear or worry or burden or despair and move into a place of proper wor- worship as we align our hearts with God. Well, I, we, what we understand, though, is that during that process of moving from worry to worship, there's a few things in between. And, and we kind of see that in Habakkuk's story as well. Uh, we see him start off in the first week we saw him come to God with this burden. He's like, look at how much violence there is. And, and, and God, your own people, how long are you going to watch this occur? And God was kind of like, yeah, h- how long? How long is it going to take for you to do something different, right? And, and then we saw the next one that, that he responded and said, listen, there is judgment uh, going to be for sin. This is sin in your, in your midst. And I'm, in fact, going to bring a nation that's even more corrupt to you. It's a, it's a nation that you've been looking to, though. It's a nation that you've been wanting to emulate. It's a nation that you've been practicing the same kind of violence. So I'm going to bring them. If you want violence, you got it. I'm going to bring them, and there's going to be judgment there. And he's like, wait, that's not, that's not what I was thinking was going to happen here, God. What, what is going on here? And then God explained that, that, that uh, and, and put on, his, on Habakkuk's heart, that there has been a reverse in the created order of things. That what was supposed to be is the worship of, of God's people to God, that he wanted them to be a people of his own possession, that that has turned around and people have exchanged. We saw in Romans how, how Paul actually was preaching Habakkuk to the Romans in chapters 1 through 3 and, and even more. But he, he says the righteous will live by faith. But those who are not those who live by faith, the righteous, are the ones who have exchanged, reverse, right, cha- exchanged the glory of God for created things, for creatures, for preferences, for their own ego and pride and selfish desires. And then what they think is, well, I can have that and God too. And God's like, no, it's one or the other. When you make an exchange of the glory of God for a created thing, it didn't say you get both. It's not like the buffet. You choose one dinner. It's God or your created things. What, what do you want? 
And he talked about how, how the reverse has happened. And we see it all in society. Up is down, and right is left, and wrong is right, and it's all going south. The reverse of the created order is because we exchange the truth of God for a lie. Ne- last week, Alistair came and brought, brought a message about the, really the punchline, the, the, the crux of everything. And, and he, he, he narrowed this down. When you have 613 Old Testament laws, then you get narrowed down to like 12 and then 10, and then you have like this three or four, and then, and then you say, well, there's two, and then really it's one. It's one law. If we could just follow this and understand that this is what it's all about, that the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. And, and that, that righteousness is brought to us by faith in Christ. And we talked about that from Romans last week, that, that it, it is all about having our faith in Jesus Christ for a righteousness that, that we cannot achieve, a righteousness that we do not deserve, a righteousness that only comes from Christ and through faith in Christ. It's His righteousness exchanged for our so-called righteousness. And we do. We have that, that faith, that time of faith, that expression of faith in Christ is an exchange. We we take the righteousness that we have, which is filthy rags, and we exchange them for the righteousness of Jesus, and He gives us that and, and puts it over us and covers us and covers our sin. And now we are made righteous because of Jesus. The righteous will live by faith. See, righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And and that should be how we live. By faith. Not by fear. Right? Not by panic. Not by I'm so freaked out. Not by pride. Not by selfishness, not by your own strength, but by faith. The righteous will live by faith. And this week we're looking at, at the next text is, is this assurance. As, as God continues to give this vision to Habakkuk, there is an assurance that comes in. An assurance that says, I've got this under control. I'm sovereign. I'm just. I'm going to take care of you. So today, what we're seeing in this progression happening, we'll, we'll pray and read this in a minute. We see this progression occurring. That there was worry, and I'm freaked out, I'm panicked, I'm not trusting. And then, then it moved to a place of, I'm going to say that to God. And that moved into the next step of, and he said, I'm going to watch. right? I'm going to stand and I will watch. I will listen to see what you have to say about this, God, because I, I do want to trust you. I'm going to move from worry into a place of watchfulness. And maybe that's where some of us need to be today. Maybe that's where you've been this week, like, God, what's going on? Maybe you're still in the worries. I don't know, but move to the next place of watch. And then, he, then today, what happens is God helps Habakkuk move out of just watching. I'm going to give you a revelation. I'm going to give you uh, some input, and it's going to move your heart to a place of assurance, a place of comfort from that assurance. And then when we find that place of assurance in the midst of the crazy, when we find a place of assurance in the midst of crazy, that will help us move on to worship. See, I can now worship. I can, I can lift up a song to Jesus. I can lift up my life to Jesus. I can lay down my life for Jesus, whatever it takes, because it doesn't matter. The worry is now gone. I've watched and waited, and he's talked to me, and I'm now assured and comforted. And now my life and my faith is going to be an expression of worship to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? So today we're talking about the assurance of God's sovereignty. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get into our text. I'll read the whole thing, and we'll break it apart. Father, thank you so much, so much for your grace and your love. And God, we, we need that every single day. And, and God, I know that right now the world is watching and waiting and wanting to know more about the assurance we can have through faith in Christ. So God, I pray that you would help, help all of us to be salt and light in a, in a world of darkness, God, in a world that needs to know that they have sinned and erred, in a world that needs to know that there is absolute hope 
and astounding mercy in Jesus Christ. We long for that. We look for that. Today, as we look to your word, we ask that you would open our hearts, open our minds to be receptive. God, some of us are stuck in a place of worry right now. Some of us are, are here watching and, and waiting, maybe, maybe trying to figure out what God's going to say. God, I pray that today we would at least get our hearts to a place of assurance. But God, if not only there, get us to a place of, of real worship, real trust in you. That despite our circumstances, you will prevail, and we trust that. Conform us now into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen. All right, so we're in Habakkuk chapter 2, and uh, we're going to read verses 6 through 20 together and then cover that. You ready? Won't all of these take up a taunt against him with mockery and riddles about him? They will say, Woe to him, and they're talking about Babylon, Woe to him who amasses what is not his. How much longer? And loads himself with goods taken in pledge. Won't your creditors suddenly arise and those who disturb you wake up? Then you will become spoiled for them since you have plundered many nations. All the peoples who remain will plunder you because of human bloodshed and violence against the land, cities, and all who live in them. Woe to him who dishonestly makes wealthy wealth for his house, a, a place, uh, this, I'm sorry, to place his nest on high, to escape the grasp of disaster. You have planned shame for your house by wiping out many peoples and sinning against your own self. For the stones will cry out from the wall. The rafters will answer them from the woodwork. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with injustice. It is not from the Lord of armies, or is it not, sorry, is it not from the Lord of armies that the peoples labor only to fuel the fire and countries exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the water covers the sea. Woe to him who gives his neighbors drink, pouring out your wrath and even making them drunk in order to look at their nakedness. You will be filled with disgrace instead of glory. You also drink and expose your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter disgrace will cover your glory. For your violence against Lebanon will overwhelm you and the destruction of animals will terrify you because of your human bloodshed and violence against lands, cities, and all who live in them. What use is a carved idol after its craftsman carves it? It is only a cast image, a teacher of lies. For the one who crafts its shape trusts in it and makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, wake up! Or to mute stone, come alive. Can it teach? Look, it may be plated with gold and silver, yet there is no breath in it at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the whole earth be silent in his presence. Now we're going to look through a few things. Before we do, I want to again set the stage. Babylon is the enemy, right? But the uh, real enemy of ourselves is ourselves, and Jerusalem and, and, and Israel is, is creating the same kind of violence and bloodshed. But Babylon is going to be the instrument of justice that's for, or judgment uh, for, of God against the Israelites, right? Against Israel. And, and at the same time, there is judgment to be had for them because God will not allow their debauchery, their unbelief, their violence to continue unpunished either. So when, when Habakkuk goes and says, God, how in the world are you going to allow those guys to come execute judgment on us when they're not even as righteous as us he goes back and says listen be assured i'm still sovereign i'm still just i'm still holy 
I'll take care of Babylon. But you ought to repent. You ought to change your thinking right now. So why, why is Babylon in this way? What got them there? Let's just kind of recap that. Uh, one of the verses we saw from chapter 1, at the end of verse 11, it, it said this about Babylon. It says that they are guilty, but their strength is their God. Babylon's strength was their God, right? That's, that's what they worship, their strength and their pride and their achievements, their accomplishments, their ability to, to build, their ability to lord it over, their ability to, to capture people and exploit them, to plunder what other people had and take it and to make themselves rich, to build from other people's ruin. That's what they did. But their God was really their strength, and that was what they worshiped. And, and then in this progression, we see this progression from worry to watching. And, and as Habakkuk is watching, one of the things he sees is these nations are just raging out of control against God. And, and there's a psalm that says that. And I want to read that to you because I think it's so important for us to see the mentality of what was happening. See, God was there, and God was wanting to be worshipped, and God wanted a people of his own possession, and he wanted Jerusalem to be a city on a hill, his, his chosen people. And that wasn't happening. But what was occurring? Well, Psalm 2 says this. It says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers, they conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. People, the, the, the nations rage. The nations go crazy and, and want to push out anything to do with God. And they want to go against him in any way possible, as long as they can be ahead, as long as they can feel like they are their own God, but it will not end well for them. So they are raging, not just raging on their own, they're raging against the Lord's anointed, the Messiah. That happens still today. People rage all, all you know, it's, it's funny, I've seen this in the last month or two a little more than, than normal, I don't know why, but, but you bring up Jesus in a conversation, and people just go crazy. What are you talking about? I can't believe it. you think about that. Get, get that out of here. I don't want to think about Jesus. You could say any other name, any other name in human history, and they'd have a conversation with you. When you say Jesus, you know why? Because there's power in the name of Jesus. Because there's no other name given to men by which we must be saved. His is the name above every name. And guess who knows that? Satan does. And he wants us to, to not believe that, to not trust that. So what happens? The nations rage against the Lord's anointed. And it happens all around. You and I ought to be careful, though, too. Don't, huh? we, we think about exchanging the glory of God for a creature. We will embrace the creature when we rage against the Lord's anointed one. When we decide what he wants isn't what I want. What he says shouldn't go. What he wants is not what's best for me. I'm going to choose this because it just feels right. That's our own form of rage. You and I should not be caught up in either. So we, we have to make this progression, not just from worry, but we get into that place of watching for him and not raging against him. And then we get into a place where, where that faith and that trust, the righteous will live by faith, where that faith and that trust brings us an assurance that we're found in him, and that would lead us to a place of worship and just outward sacrifice, the way we live. And that's what we'll see more of today and as we go through this text. So we're going to be looking at our assurance or an assurance of sovereignty is what is given today. We're going to look at six different points for that. Point number one, the assurance of sovereignty. The first note here is that selfish ambition will end in ruin. Selfish ambition will end in ruin. And we're going to see that. So he's giving Habakkuk, hey, listen, here's what's going to happen to Babylon. And let's read about that, okay? Let's look at verses six through eight again. Selfish ambition will end in ruin. It says, won't all of these take up a taunt against you? These are the ones that they've, they've taken, the ones that they've, they've imprisoned. Won't all of these 
take up a taunt against him with mockery and riddles about him. This is a, what some commentators would say. This is the taunt song against Babylon. They will say, Woe to him who amasses what is not his. How much longer? And loads himself with goods taken in pledge. I kid you not, as I'm studying this this week, and I'm getting po- Facebook posts and Instagram feeds and text messages and news articles and seeing videos of people running through Costco with empty carts to the back corner to load them up with toilet paper. Then I read this verse. Woe to him who amasses what is not his and loads himself with goods taken in pledge. Guess what, people? That toilet paper is not all yours. And, and for the righteous who live by faith, we don't go hoard toilet paper. They may, but what happens? Selfish ambition will lead to ruin and will end in ruin. We, we trust God. We will live by faith. We will not go hoard supplies. We will give freely to those who are in need. He goes on and says, Won't your creditors suddenly arise? And certainly they weren't hoarding toilet paper. But they would go in and take whatever belonged to you and make it their own. They would steal and they would, they would pillage and they would take it and amass treasure and wealth and, and security and status with what you owned, what you had the right to. And you and I would be left with nothing. Now we should work for what we have, but it should not be taken from us. Selfish ambition ends in ruin. Won't those, uh, your creditors suddenly arise and those uh, who disturb you wake up? Then you will become spoil for them. Since you have plundered many nations, all the peoples who remain will plunder you because of human bloodshed and violence against the lands, cities, and all who live in them. There's this, this saying, hey, listen, your selfish ambition is going to end in ruin. It's come. We reap what we sow, don't we? We reap what we sow, and we'll see that throughout all of this. There will be a day where you reap what you sow. Now, ambition, ambition can be a good thing. We're talking about selfish ambition, right? Selfish ambition will end in ruin, but there are things that are good about ambition, right? But, but if it's coupled with greed or fear or abuse or power, it's a bad thing. We see a, a place where this says in Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. So he says, this is not how to live. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, here's, here's the right kind of progress, right? Humility, consider others more important than yourselves, in verse 5, he says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. And it wasn't this long talk about Jesus, who, who basically says, who gave himself as God in the flesh for humanity. He became obedient to death, even death on the cross. So when we humble ourselves, we're to give our lives away. We're to love and serve other people who have that need. That's the kind of ambition we should have. My ambition should be to love and serve and sacrifice for others. Paul again urges the Corinthians, he says, Therefore, uh, whether we are at home or away, we make it our, a- our aim, and that word aim is that, that word ambition. We make it our utmost goal, our chief goal, to be pleasing to Him. So for you and I, our ambition should not be for gain or unsorted gain. Our, our ambition should be that I would be a servant of all and ultimately that I would be pleasing to God. That's my ambition. It's not for selfish gain. It's not for greed or power or prestige it is that i would serve others and love him with all my heart soul mind and strength i'd be pleasing to him because i know selfish ambition will end in ruin and that's a comfort that was a comfort given to habakkuk god says listen we i know about the babylonians i know what's going on there that's not far out of my mind i've still got over that 
And, and I'm giving you an assurance that I will take care of them. They will get what's coming to them. And that, that gives us comfort. That gives us knowledge, knowing that even as a big of a mess as it is in the world today, God still knows, God still sees, and God still will deal with it. Number two, an assurance of sovereignty is this, that false security will never last. False security will never last. It, it becomes undone or unfastened. It's like when I secure my tennis shoe and I tie it up, if those laces start to pull out and come undone, what happens? I may trip and fall, right? My security comes undone, and I'm just unfastened. Look at verses 9 through 11. Here's what that looks like. What's that false security look like? Woe to him who dishonestly makes wealth for his house to place his nest on high to escape the grasp of disaster. Boy, this hits home, doesn't it? I thought I needed to, to preach a different sermon this week, maybe at some point. And God's like, no, this will do. Woe to him who dishonestly makes wealth for his house to, house to place his nest on high to escape the grasp of disaster. There's just false security. I'm, I'm going to rob, steal, cheat, whatever I can do to make myself secure, or at least feel secure, look secure. Verse 10, you have planned shame for your house by wiping out many peoples and sinning against your own self. For the stones will cry out from the wall, and the rafters will answer them from the woodwork. This is, this is really interesting. This gets really fun. Turn to Daniel chapter 5 with me. Daniel chapter 5. Remember I, I had talked about that Daniel was, was part of this exile. So God was saying, listen, you'll see it in your lifetime that this exile is going to occur. Babylon's going to come in. They're going to take you away and take you into captivity. Well, Daniel was part of that captivity. So as we look at the book of Daniel, we see the historical events of what happened during the exile, at the exile and during the exile. And we know that Daniel was, was part, of, part of some higher-ups, right? And Daniel was part of the change with Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar had humbled himself in his heart right before God, eventually, after so much of his own selfishness and pride and ego. But he eventually humbled himself. Well, eventually, he died, right? He, he, was, he was gone, and, and Belshazzar took over as, as the ruler of Babylon. And we see in Daniel 5 th this, this event that takes place that is a a, a fulfillment of the prophecy we see being given to Habakkuk. It's amazing. It's really, really cool. So we're in chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 6, then we'll jump down for, uh, to, to verse 23 because of time. You can read all of that later on in your discussion groups. So King Belshazzar had a great feast for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine in their presence under the influence of wine. Belshazzar gave orders to bring in the gold and silver vessels that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, wives and concubines, could drink from them. So he, here's the stage. He, Belshazzar is getting drunk. He thinks that he fancies it good to say, hey, that's a good idea. Let's go get the, the gold cups that were in the temple of God, the things that were gods in Jerusalem that we had taken away. Let's get them out of the storage. Let's bring them out because, because we're probably gods ourselves. Let's just drink out of those. Let's, let's make this a fancy party, right? Bring out the best china. Bring out God's. You see where this is going. Drink doesn't do real well for people, does it? It takes people down a wrong, wrong road. So he said, bring it out, and we're going to drink from them. So they brought in the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple, the house of, the God, of God in Jerusalem, and the kings and his nobles, wives, concubines drank from them. Verse 4. They drank the wine and praised their gods made of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Interesting. Verse 5. At that moment, 
the fingers of a man's hand appeared and began, began writing on the plaster of the king's palace wall next to the lampstand. That, okay, that's just... It, I mean, you're drunk and you're seeing a hand write something on the wall. What is going... And you had just asked to bring God's cups in, and we're going to drink out of those. This is, this is a, a difficult time for Belshazzar. Like, he's hoping he's just seen a, a fake image, right? As the king watched the hand that was writing... His face turned pale, and his thoughts so terrified him that he soiled himself and his knees knocked together. This, this happens, just going back to the thought of this, false security will never last, right? When we put ourselves in a place of false security, one day our knees are going to be knocking together. And we are going to be so freaked out in, in despair about our own position in this false security that we will need repent of that and sometimes it may be too late we're going to go on down here so he sees this hand writing on the wall and let's go back to our text in in habakkuk right woe to him who dishonestly makes uh, makes wealth for his house and placed his nest on a high uh, place to escape the disaster but it goes on it says basically later on he says uh, the stones will cry out from the wall what you've stolen what you've used to build this security, they will cry out against you. The, ri- the writings on the wall, they will cry out against you. The, the raptors will answer from the woodwork. So we'll jump down to verse 23. So he, he brings in some mediums and some people to try to say, what, what's written on the wall? What is this? I don't know. Well, of course, Daniel, he's the guy that can do it for you, right? So Daniel gets brought in. In verse 22, he talks about uh, your, your successor. He says, but you, but you uh, sorry, you are the successor, but you, his successor, talking about Nebuchadnezzar, saying, listen, Nebuchadnezzar finally humbled himself, but he says, you, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all of this, knew all of what God had done to Nebuchadnezzar, knew all of what God, uh, he'd gone through, you, you knew all this. Instead, you have exalted yourself against the Lord of the heavens. The vessels from this house were brought to you, or from uh, his house were brought to you. And as you and your nobles, wives, concubines drank wine from them, you praised the gods made of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or understand. But you have not glorified the God who holds your life breath in his hands and who controls the whole course of your life. That's, that's a big statement, isn't it? It's like, what's going on? You're, you're wrong. You have a false sense of security. You have ego and pride, and you think you're, own, you're your own God. That's what's wrong. Therefore, he, he sent the hand, and this writing was inscribed. This is the writing that was inscribed. Mean, mean, tekel, parson. This is the interpretation of the message. Mean means that God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel means that you have been weighed on a balance and found deficient. Peris means that your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Before I read the next part of this text, listen. He's saying, this is what the writing's on the wall. If you have a false sense of security, the writing's also on the wall. Right, that you that you'll be be 
numbered, numbered, weighed, and divided. I, I think about the passage in Hebrews that says that all of us will at one point be naked and exposed before Him to whom we must give an account. We will all, all be exposed. We will all be numbered. We will all be weighed. We will all be divided or measured. It's so important for us to understand that we are not our own God. And that false security will never last. So this is a prophecy that's being fulfilled, that, that is God is revealing to Habakkuk in our text. It's being fulfilled now. Now what happens? Belshazzar gave an order in verse 29. And they clothed Daniel in purple, placed a gold chain around his neck, and issued a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in his kingdom. Wow, great job, Daniel. We're going we're gonna to reward you. Thank you so much for, for telling us this proclamation or this, this writing, the inscription. What happens? That very night, Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom at the age of 62. Now, there's kings coming that have their own problems. But false security will never last the writings on the wall we will all be laid out exposed before god to whom we must give an account we are not the last end of that we are not the last say in our own accountability god is we will be accountable that's assurance that's assurance of god's sovereignty for habakkuk and, and god's people the remnant they're the faithful remnant to know that they will not get away from with this forever that God, will, God sees and God will deal justly and sovereignly with these people is an assurance for us. We can look at craziness all around and we can know and trust, you know what? It's a false security and it will not last. It will not last. They will be exposed before God. Number three, an assurance of sovereignty is that the exploiter will be consumed. The exploiter will be consumed. Let's read the text there in verses 12 through 14. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and, and founds a town with injustice. Right? So what are these people doing? They're using people to build their town, their city. They're using slave labor. They're lording it over people. They're abusing people. They're exploiting people. Uh, using people for sexual favors and activity. They're exploiting people. I, I mentioned this a couple, couple weeks ago. This is happening today. This is, this is the greatest time in world history of slavery. Greatest time. It's all over. And it's more secretive than ever because of the internet. It's happening all around us. People are being exploited and people are being exploiters. The truth here is, is the exploiter will be consumed. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed. Woe to him who founds a town with injustice. Is it not from the Lord of armies that the people's labor only to fuel the fire and countries exhaust themselves for nothing? And listen, they're working hard. They're making brilliant things. And, and here's, here's what happens. They're, they're exploiting people for their own benefit, for money, for prestige, for power. When Babylon was, was built, this was an extraordinary city. And if you would go look online and look at the, look at the, the rendering of, the, of what, it was, what it was like, it's extraordinary. It was, it was its own type of glory or famous town. And that's what every king wants is glory, right? They want their own glory. They want to make it, it's beautiful. So this archaeological awesome architectural wonder is built called Babylon. And as, as, they, as they build this, this place up, it is, it is an amazing feat of human in, ingenuity. But what's next is awesome, because this glory is not going to last. It says, 
For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the water covers the sea. It's a contrast here. Babylon had brought shame upon their civilization through the means it was built. And although it was a work of amazing feats and ingenuity and imagination, their infamy would become their shame. Their desire for glory would become disgrace. They would be be consumed. And while the glory of Babylon didn't last, what verse 14 says is this, the glory of the Lord will cover the earth and it will abide forever. You might seek glory that's temporary. You might seek glory and honor and prestige or, or wealth that's temporary. The glory of the Lord covers the entire earth and it will abide forever. We should be reminded to not be the exploiter. We should be reminded that, that what mankind builds without God can never last. The psalmist says we labor in vain if not laboring with God. The exploiter of the people, the exploiter of people who are made in God's image will face judgment and eventually they will lose everything. They will be consumed. And that's an assurance, that's a comfort given to Habakkuk about God's sovereignty. Number four, the corrupter. The corrupter will be disgraced. Let's look at verses 15 through 17. Woe to him who gives his neighbor drink, pouring out your wrath and even making them drunk in order to look at their nakedness. The corrupter. Let's pass on our iniquity. Let's pass on our intoxication. Let's pass on our sin, our violence. Let's let other people share in it or applaud it, like Romans says. You will be filled with disgrace instead of glory. You also drink, you also drink and expose your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter disgrace will cover your glory. For your violence against Lebanon will overwhelm you. The destruction of animals will terrify you. Because, because of your human bloodshed and violence against lands, cities, and all who live in them. Interesting, that last part of this passage. He's talking about your violence against Lebanon will overwhelm you, the destruction of animals. They, they were users of everything. Not only did they exploit people, they also exploited the land, and they corrupted the land. They went out wasting, wasting uh, hillsides and, and tons of acres of, of trees and cut them down for their own benefit to build whatever their temples were. This scene, it, it, this is what it reminded me of. You guys seen The Lion King, right? This, the movie The Lion King. No? Yeah, a long, long time ago. Well, there's a new one out. And I thought, oh, a new one. This might be a new one, right? Word for word, the exact same movie. Maybe just better. I think James Earl Jones is still Mufasa. Anyway, it's, it's cool. But so Mufasa, you guys, it's like you don't know what the Lion King is. I'm going to tell you. The Lion King, so you have the, the, the king of the lions, Mufasa, right? He's the, he's the, the, the king of the pride. And, and there's Pride Rock, and there's a beautiful land out there. Of course, they still eat antelope, and it's not all cupcakes and roses, but they steward the land well. They treat each other well. They understand the circle of life, right? The, the song, right? And, and they have, so then there's a child born. It's Simba, the, the heir to the throne from Mufasa, and Mufasa is teaching him all of his ways. How do we keep this that way? How do we steward well? How do we make this what it should be and still eat the antelope, right? Well, Mufasa has a brother. His name's Scar. He's got a big scar across his eye like that, right? And, and he's a bad lion. He's, he's really jealous because he's a scrawny runt who got beat up a lot, and he, didn't, he wasn't the heir to the throne. And, and Mufasa now has a son, so he'll never have the throne, and he really wants it. So he sets up this trap, and he 
he sends or he takes uh, the kid, Simba, with him. And they, they set up this trap in this little ravine, and there's a stampede. And Mufasa, the dad, comes to try to rescue Simba, right? And he does it. In the meantime, Scar tosses him over the edge back into the stampede. And, and sorry, spoiler alert, Mufasa dies, okay? I know, no. And then Scar's there and tells, tells Simba, it's your fault, you need to run away. He runs away. Guess who becomes king? Scar. And, and it's, it's amazing. This, this, he becomes king, and he puts a waste to everything that's out there. He uses and exploits everything. He brings in all of the hyenas and says, they're going to be our friends now. And then eventually, spoiler alert, Simba wins. He comes back. But he comes back to this area, to his land, right? He comes back to where this, this land should be lush and beautiful and amazing because they take care of it and take care of each other. And it's this utter wasteland. It's like this desolate, dusty, all burnt up, every resource used, not a single other animal in sight. You're, it's, you're, everyone's starving because Scar wanted to be big, powerful Scar. And, and Babylon was the same way. We're going to take everything we see. We're going to build ourselves our own thing, but everyone else is going to be, be laid waste to. We don't even care about them. And that's what was going on. And, th and that was the corruption they spread around. Well, what happens to them? Well, there's talk of Babylon in, in Revelation. I want to read you this verse. So they're, they're passing their cup to people to be exploited and to, to be corrupted. And we know that the corrupter will be disgraced. Revelation, it says this in chapter 16, verse 19. This is when the, the bowls, the judgment bowls are being uh, happening during the, the last days. And it says, The great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered in God's presence. What was remembered? Well, what we just read. The way they practiced these things, the way they did these things. Remembered in God's presence. And he gave her the cup filled with the wine of his fierce anger. Remember we talked about we reap what we sow? Yeah, you want wine? You want to share the cup? Oh, God says, I'll share a cup with you. I will share a cup with you. And, that, and there should be assurance in that. We know that as we share in the suffering of Christ and, and we share in the suffering of Christ through our faith in Jesus Christ, that He extends grace and mercy and forgiveness to us. And we have security through what's been accomplished on that cross, through what the cup that Jesus took for us. And that's because the righteous will live by faith. But the unrighteous, in the end, they will get a different cup. Well, they'll get the same cup that Jesus took. The cup of wrath, God's wrath upon them. They think they can get away with being corruptors. They think they can get away with being exploiters. They will be consumed. They will be disgraced. They will be judged. God will give them a cup filled with the wine of his fierce anger. And while Babylon, well, God, was, God used Babylon, right? God used Babylon to bring judgment on the nations. God would now give her a cup to drink that would bring her to ruin. And we just re were reminded that that kind of glory that they want and they aspire to, it fades. But God's is the glory that will cover the entire earth. And God's glory will cover Babylon and the like with shame and disgrace. Number five. Another assurance of God's sovereignty. Idols will be worthless. Idols will be worthless. Look at verses 18 through 19. What use is a carved idol after its craftsman carves it? It is only a cast image, a teacher of lies. For the one who crafts it, shapes it, or shape, crafts its shape, trusts in it, and makes idols that cannot speak. 
Woe to him who says, Wood, wake up! Or to a mute stone, come alive! Can it teach? Look, it may be plated with gold and silver, yet there is no breath in it at all. There's no breath in it at all. It's amazing what we like to amass around ourselves to make ourselves feel confident, but will utterly disappoint us. Those idols that are not Jesus, those little g-gods that are not the God of the universe will always, always disappoint. They will be worthless. I want to read a passage out of Psalm 115 where it brings us to life a little more. The psalmist says, Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your faithful love, because of your truth. The righteous will live by faith. This is a faith statement. Why should the nation say, there, or where is their God? Our God is in heaven and does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feel but cannot walk, or uh, feet but cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throats. Those who make them are just like them, as are all who trust in them. This is, that's pretty harsh. Uh, we go down, I want you to think about this. We go downtown, we see even in our community the, the, the shops of idols all up and down the street. Whether it's crystals or little Buddhas or whatever you have. People go, people go into those shops to buy an object they think has some kind of power, right? I, I need you to kind of reason for a minute. Somebody made that object. Like that was made in a factory on a machine or someone carved it and, and produced it one by one. But a human being with two hands built the object that people now go in and use as their God. You see where that is a disconnect? It's a created object by a creation of God. It's not even, I'm going to worship a human being. I'm going to worship something the human being made. The human being who was also made by a creator. But it goes back to that fact that we exchange the glory of God for the creature or the created object. But what this psalm says is, is they cannot make sounds, right? They can't walk. Those who make them are just like them, as are all who trust in them. Idols made of wood and stone or metal are worthless. They're useless. And they are dead. Such are those who embrace them. Wanting life, desiring life, but running to something that has no life in them. This is indeed the reversal of the created order that we have talked about. This is worshiping the creature or the created thing rather than the creator who is forever to be praised. Amen? For us, the assurance is those who worship idols, I mean, we long that they would worship Yahweh. They long, we long that they would find Jesus and trust Him in faith to be forgiven and that He would be the most satisfying God they would ever find because He is God. But what we know is those who amass idols around them and worship them, those idols are useless. And they will be worthless when they stand before God one day. Everyone will stand before God. And if you come up saying, well, I, I had this piece of wood that looked like something. Didn't that count? Nope. Doesn't count. It's not good for anything. And that's an assurance that Habakkuk was given. Number six, the last one. 
an assurance of sovereignty looks like this, that the Lord is on his throne. This is the last thing that, that Habakkuk is encouraged by right here in this, in this text. In the last part of, uh, in verse 20, the last part of chapter 2, what does it say? It says, but the Lord is in his holy temple, but the whole earth be silent in his presence. What does that mean for us? Well, in a day of craziness, in a week of craziness, in this season of craziness and unrest and, and freaking out and panic, guess what? God is still on his throne. God is still sovereign over everything and everyone. We can rest in that. And, and the whole earth should be silent before him. Maybe silent in prayer before him. This is a, another time this has been said, and I, I've used this illustration before. But in Psalm 47, the psalmist writes this. It says, come see the works of the Lord. Like, there's excitement knowing that the Lord is on his throne, right? Come see the works of the Lord who brings devastation on the earth. Right? There's, there's this power and sovereignty he has. He makes wars cease throughout the earth. So there's, there's devastation. There's wars that cease. It goes on. He shatters bows and cuts spears to pieces. He sets wagons ablaze. Here's the verse that we always use. We, we love this. We write it on a little tag or we read this one little verse at the bottom of our devotion. This is the one we like. Be still and know that I am God. But he, here's what it means. Here's what it's saying. The real translation is stop your fighting or stop struggling and know that I am God. Exalted among the nations, exalted on the earth. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Selah. And if you remember from our psalm series in, in the summer, that word Selah was like, you let what just came before this sink in good. You pause. You let the richness of this sink in really good. And I want to give you the illustration of this as well. For me as a dad, I have kids. And, and I, I, my, my kids, my toddlers sometimes freak out. They panic. They get, they get in their own moods. And, and I want to just hold them. I just, come here. I, come here, let me hug you. Let me hold you. And there are times they just want to squirm and fight and kick and want to get out of there. And I remember this verse came to life for me. And I, I know I've shared this before, but this verse came to life for me one time when, when I was holding my daughter and she was doing that. And I said, Bailey, stop struggling. I'm your daddy. You see, that, that's the assurance that we all need. And that gave my, my daughter assurance, knowing that, I love her. I desire her good. I desire her to grow. But how much more does our Heavenly Father care for us? That when we, we're in the midst of chaos, we're in the midst of despair and panic and craziness, we can know that God is on His throne and that the whole world can be still before Him and that you and I can be part of that. That we can stop our struggling, stop our panicking, Stop our fear. Stop freaking out. Stop struggling and know that He is God, that He is on His throne, that He will be exalted among the nations, that He will be exalted over the earth. And it goes on, the Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. I love that song, the angel armies, one we sang earlier. Right? The God of angel armies is always by my side. It goes deeper than that, though. The Lord is in his temple. The last passage I want to read you out of is 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The Lord is, is, is on his throne. He's in his temple. But today, as a, as a New Testament church, what we know is that God has given believers the indwelling of his Holy Spirit, that that God who's on his throne 
wants to reign in his temple and the body, the human body, the Christian human body, yours and mine, is that temple of God. Paul says, do, do, not, do you not know, he's talking to believers, people who have, who have put faith and trust in Christ, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price, so glorify God with your body. The greatest assurance, I mean, he had a great assurance, Habakkuk did, God's on his throne, God's in charge, I am gonna, I'm going to submit to that, I'm going to have assurance and comfort in that. For you and I, not only do we know that he's on his throne and he's in charge, he is in us. And it's our privilege to be not only comforted by him and strengthened by him, but for us to be the salt and light to the world. That God's temple is right here. And as you and I walk out the doors, we are to be salt and light. We are to love our neighbors. We are to love God with all of our soul, our heart, our mind, and strength. That's who we are. That we, we are that. And, and for you and I, there's, there's a, a point in our lives where we understand we've trusted Christ, but there's a throne that He is supposed to sit on. And if, if you or I are taking God and saying, well, yeah, you've come there, you've forgiven me, but I still want to be in charge, don't dethrone Him from your life. Let him sit on that throne. Let him be God. Stop struggling and know that he is God. Amen? All right, let's stand and pray together. Oh, Father, you are so good to us. We are so thankful for, for your grace and your love. But God, as we've looked at your word today, we are so thankful of the assurance of your sovereignty, the assurance of your justice. We look around the world and see injustice everywhere, and we see that justice is perverted constantly, and that there is a reverse of the created order, and people continually exchange the glory of God for the creature and the created thing. But God, we know that you will not put up with that forever. We know that there will be justice, that we will reap what we sow. So God, help us who have looked to you in faith. Help us to live by faith, to walk by faith, to walk and keep in step with your Spirit because we know the righteous will live by faith. And as we do that, help us move from a place of worry to a place of watching and even to a place of assurance and comfort, knowing that you're there. And God, beyond that, help us move to a place of worship that no matter the circumstances, no matter the panic, no matter the craziness in life, that we will worship you because you are a good God because you are on your throne. You are exalted among the nations. You are exalted on the earth. And God, we exalt you in our own heart. And we will stand still before you and let you be God. We trust you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we close, we will close with a